0: Hi, I'm Shelly and I'm Maria and you're listening to the baby pro podcast, where we talk about everything and anything related to pregnancy and through the first year of your child's life. Every episode, we will discuss and interview experts on all the answers to the questions expectant and new parents want to know, such as creating the perfect birth plan, infant sleep and tips and tricks for parenting a newborn. Welcome to the show. Hey, Maria. Hey, Shelly. Happy world breastfeeding week.
1: Sorry, happy World Breastfeeding Week.
0: And it's World Breastfeeding Month, the entire month of August.
1: Yay.
0: Well, how Maybe. do you feel about World Breastfeeding Week?
1: You know, it happens at the same time that Nurses Week happens. Mm-hmm. It's also Nurses Week. And I feel like we always kind of get swept under the rug
2: mm-hmm.
1: or just sort of brushed over. We all celebrate it. Everybody else is like, it's Nurses Week.
0: Yeah. Well, and nurses definitely deserve their recognition. Yes.
1: No, um, not to say that nurses shouldn't yeah. also have a week. I just don't think they should be at the same time. Right. Maybe nurses, we can come first and then IV, CLC, lactation, or breast breast breastfeeding week. Yeah. World breastfeeding week could happen afterwards. Mm-hmm.
0: Like, I think people vulnerable. just sometimes have like so many charged emotions around anything that has to do with breastfeeding, really.
1: Well, yes, there, there is yeah. that as well. But that's okay. We can still celebrate it. Mm-hmm.
0: This week, we are talking with Emily Newberg. She's actually a, a doula that's local to us. Do you know her? Nice. I don't know her. She um, is going to talk about parenting in the NICU.
1: Excellent. That's a very important topic. A lot of things that happen up at the NICU, and it can be super
0: scary up there. But first, let's do our question of the week. So this one was submitted through Instagram, and the question is, um, my baby won't take a bottle. I've tried every nipple on the market. What do I do? Yeah, you find a lactation consultant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I always, like, Summer never took a bottle. Did I ever tell you that?
1: No, I don't think so.
0: Yeah, she she would just, like, scream the whole time I was gone. Mm-hmm. And then when I got home, she would, like, feed for hours and hours and hours to make up yeah. for
1: it. <laughs> yeah, desperately trying to chug. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely tricky. And I know it's super stressful for parents, especially if they're exclusively breastfeeding <laughs> and they've kind of waited until they need to be giving a bottle and then all of a sudden he doesn't want it or can't take mm-hmm. it or struggles with it.
0: All of those things. Yeah. The number of bottle consoles I've been getting has like quadrupled since COVID hit because families are home. So no one's giving bottles right. until right. they have to go back in the office and all of a sudden, right. you know, their yes. three month, four month old baby won't take a bottle.
1: Right. Yeah. And some of that is like anatomical as we know. And I think some mm-hmm. of it is just at three and four months old it's not really reflexive anymore. And they have to think about it. And now it's like, what is this thing that you're putting Mm -hmm. in my mouth? Like, that's not the food I'm
0: used to. (laughs) They have stronger opinions at that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Right. Exactly. They they know where their food comes from. What is this thing you're putting in my face? Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. And I think if you've Googled it and done all the normal things that Professor Google tells you to do, like leave the house or have someone offer it to you or, or some, have someone else offer it to the baby or try when they're sleepy and that that stuff isn't working that might be an indication that something else is going on and right. I would reach out to an IBCLC
2: yeah definitely
1: they've tried all those things and it didn't work and their baby just screamed it kind of breaks my heart like first of all you can't, you had to stress your baby out to try to get them to take this Food from a different source that they're not used to, and everybody's stressed out. Um, and the baby's still screaming.:
0: Parenting is so fun.:
1: Yeah: <laughs> <laughs> well, I wish it got easier.: <laughs>
0: It's just different problems. Just just yeah, yeah Every children, age. different
1: problems. Yeah. super.
0: The best part is when you can like get rid of the bottles and the car seats and the pack and plays and you know all the inconvenient stuff that you have to lug around
1: yeah we just got rid of the booster seat oh
0: just really
1: yeah she's finally kind of big enough for that which is nice because
0: you like get out of my house it.
1: <laughs> I know. stop it just it's, it's just a crumb catcher really you remove those little booster seats and then underneath is like this whole planet of
0: food waste and god mm. knows what it's like the car seat in the car too like you're yeah. almost afraid to take it out because you know what's going to be waiting for you underneath yeah,
1: exactly it's pretty pretty much the same just a smaller device same mm-hmm. amount of props though
0: mm-hmm. yeah I remember every time I clean my car I'd say to the kids okay now we're not going to eat in the car anymore we're going to keep this car clean <laughs> <laughs> I know but sometimes
1: it's easier to have them eat in the car Or, you know, they're starving and clearly they're not going to make it until you get home. Can they just Mm. have a snack now?
0: Yeah. So I would say if you, if you've tried all the normal things that people tell you to try and it's not working, there could be an underlying issue going on that would keep your baby from taking a bottle, like a high palate or a tongue tie or something else like that. So I would definitely reach out to an IBCLC. And that was a good question.
1: That's a good question. And bottle refusal is definitely a tricky
0: thing. Yeah. So definitely get support through it. And next up, we will be speaking with Emily Newberg. This week, we are speaking with Emily Newberg. She is the founder of Baby Bean and is an expert on all things baby. Baby Bean represents a lifelong passion for babies and showcases Emily's knowledge of pregnancy and birth and her 20 plus years caring for newborns and their families. Born and raised in the Boston area, Emily has deep ties to the community and has created a rich and comprehensive network of resources for her clients. She's a graduate of Wesley College and holds a degree in early childhood education. She is a donor-trained birth and postpartum doula, and she also has additional training in spinning babies, acupressure and labor, breastfeeding support, and planning for a baby. And she is also a NICU mom, and her son is a NICU graduate, and she'll be talking to us about parenting in the NICU. Hi, Emily. Hi, Shelley. How are you? Good. I am so excited that you agreed to do this with me. You were the first person I thought of.
1: Oh. I was like, oh,
0: I wanted to do this episode on on NICU parenting, parenting in the NICU. And because of your professional experience and personal experience, I was like, it's got to be Emily. I hope she oh. says yes.
3: <laughs> well, I was flattered that you asked or honored that you asked and very uh,
0: excited to be here and excited to talk about my journey. Mm-hmm. And I love that you're pumping right now. I
3: am. Yes. <laughs> you are like me. multitasking queen. <laughs> The joys of being a solo parent um, and mm. <laughs> needing to provide milk for my baby, who mm-hmm. thankfully is sleeping right now. <laughs> and how old is he? Um, so he is four months old. Um, he was four months old on Friday, and he was he was
0: in the NICU for a little bit.
3: He was. We had um, we had a forty one day NICU stay, mm-hmm. um, and so yeah, it was it was a wild ride. And was that because he was premature? He was. So he was born at 36 weeks and one day.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: The I sort of knew through most of my pregnancy that we were going to be facing a C-section probably around 37 weeks uh, because of a placenta previa. Mm-hmm. Had a very scary few weeks where they thought I had something more complicated than that. Um, and then it thankfully resolved. So I sort of thought I was in the clear and that I would be smooth sailing. And then um, I started bleeding at 31 weeks. Oh. Had a... One hospitalization at 31 weeks where we um, they dosed me with steroids um, just in case they needed to deliver him early, monitored me for two days and then sent me on my way. And then exactly three weeks later, two weeks later, three weeks later, at 34 weeks and one day, um, I had a second bleed and was hospitalized again
1: uh, mm-hmm. for another
3: two days of monitoring and then exactly two weeks after that, um, I had a third bleed. And at that point, I was already 36 weeks. And the the, the thinking was, he's ready to be out. Mm-hmm. It's not worth sort of the risk of keeping him in just for another week and a half before the, you know, the planned C-section.
0: Well, can you give us your um, professional background too? Because that ties in.
3: Sure. Um, so I um, I have my background. I have a master's in early childhood um, and elementary education. I taught first and second grade for six years, and then um, jumped off a cliff and um, launched my doula business. So I am Mm -hmm. a birth and postpartum doula and have been for the last six years. So have guided more than 200, probably more than 300 at this point, families through the birth and postpartum journey,
2: Mm -hmm.
3: including some NICU stays. Ironically, never never a NICU stay that was as long as mine or never, a you know, a pregnancy that was quite as complicated as mine. So the joke in the birth world is that birth workers end up with the birth <laughs> we never get the smooth rides. Um, yeah. yeah. So so yeah. So I knew a lot going into my pregnancy. I knew a lot about sort of what to expect with a 36 weeker or a 37 weeker, which is you know, the hope was that I was going to have a 37 weeker. But I, I think I was a little bit in denial about how much support a 36 weeker could need.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: You know, most 36 weekers do just fine. You know, I I sort of thought maybe we'll need. Some NICU observation, or maybe he'll need to be in the NICU for a couple of days. But I sort of figured we'd be going home around the same time mm-hmm. together, um, which usually does happen, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And especially he'd had the steroids, uh, the steroid shots at 31 weeks to help develop his lungs. So um, you know, obviously it was the right choice to deliver him when we did because my placenta was clearly crapping out, and, mm-hmm. and I, you know was not was not doing what it needed to do to to keep him growing and sort of safely inside me and yet it's so hard not to like second guess every mm-hmm. decision that you make and I think that's true of all parents but I think it's especially true of Mickey parents um, that you know you just it's like just how did we get here and what could I have done differently and I've learned that those are not healthy questions to dwell on mm-hmm. <laughs> for me so yeah.
0: Yeah and I think in a way Although I don't know, because I feel like as a lactation consultant and someone also who used to be a doula, I don't practice as a doula anymore. But I feel like sometimes ignorance can be a bliss, where if I ever had another baby, I would be so stressed. I would be like, I don't care if it's a boy or girl, just tell me if it's (laughs) tongue-tied.
3: We had one of those too.
0: Yeah. So like as a doula with you having all the, the knowledge and the expertise that you had because you've been supporting families through this, you know, sometimes knowing too much cannot be a benefit do you. Do you think that was the case with you or do you think it can be the case, but you felt that it wasn't,
3: I think I felt robbed of the the kinds of births that I've experienced, like I've supported. <laughs> Um, Mm -hmm. and I, but, but I also had a lot of time during my pregnancy to come to terms with that because I knew from a pretty early point that I was probably going to be facing a planned c section Mm -hmm. and that I wasn't going to get to experience labor. And so it was hard to wrap my head around that. I definitely feel like in the moment, sort of after he was born, I just was sort of doing what needed to be done. This sort of idea of like one foot in front of the next to like do the next right thing to get him taken care of uh, and making sure that I'm taking care of myself to make sure that I'm healing from my surgery, healing and resting and, you know, getting sleep and pumping for him and doing all the things that they need to be doing while he is in excellent hands. And Mm -hmm. sort of, I do think that my background both as a doula and as a teenager, I volunteered in a NICU. So I think my level of trust in the NICU team and the staff to take impeccable care of him was there, and I—that's I, probably not the case for every NICU parent who walks into the NICU, mm-hmm. um, or at least not right away. Mm-hmm. But I felt incredibly fortunate to be um, in the hospital where we were. We uh, were at Brigham, and um, it's a hospital that's really great for high-risk mm-hmm. stuff. And if you need to be in the NICU, that's the place to be in Boston, mm-hmm. or one of the one of the few places to be. Um, so I felt very fortunate that, you know, that we were where we were, mm-hmm. and and you kind of build a NICU family. I think that's the other thing that I, I learned that while you're there, the nurses are incredible. Um, mm-hmm. They're some of the most amazing nurses I've ever seen, and I I thought mm-hmm. that at the the NICU that I that I worked at in high school, um, and it's definitely true at the Brigham. I really appreciated that we had a primary team of nurses. So he had two primary daytime nurses and two primary nighttime nurses. And so whenever one of them was on, we got them, which was most of the time. Um, And certainly there were shifts that were covered by by other nurses on the floor. But having the consistency of care, uh, Mm -hmm. people who really got to know him and, and love him really helpful for me and mm-hmm. i they still get daily uh, not daily at this point but we're you know at least a couple times a week they get updates uh, and pictures from us uh, to see how he's doing mm-hmm. so i think you know they're gonna be they're gonna be a part of our lives for a long time which is yeah
0: cool. yeah and the NICU that i so when i worked at the hospital i was only in the NICU once a month but you could see like people would send in christmas cards for you know when their, their former NICU, their NICU graduate is like five years old, six years old, and they're still sending in the cards and the, yeah. the nurses are still fawning over the cards and remembering the families. One time I had a family ask me like, okay, when, when we left the NICU, the nurses were like, send us updates, but is that something they really mean? Or is that just right. something they say to be nice? And I was like, no, you but don't understand. <laughs> all those Christmas cards are hanging on the wall. <laughs> like, yep. like we want to hear from you and how your your family is doing. And they all in pre-COVID, of course, when visitor restrictions were a lot less strict. Yeah, parents would bring the baby back to visit the nurses all the time.
3: Yeah, it's like it's a really special place. Most people, you know, are fortunate enough never to have to sort of set foot in the NICU with their own children. But it yeah. is really a pretty incredible place, and they feel like. You know, the docs are amazing, but the nurses really make the experience, I would say. And it takes a special kind of person to be a NICU nurse. And it's it's a very uh, like we I would joke with them all the time. Like it's a very niche field. Like you either mm-hmm. people either love it or they hate it. And yeah. once people land in the NICU, they usually don't leave like that. Yeah. They're usually lifers like once they find it. And that was certainly true of all of the, the nurses that being encountered mm-hmm. before, like our four primary nurses that you know, we would have a lot. Of, and I think because of my profession, I will say, like, we had a lot of conversations, a lot, a lot of like, really high level conversations about the medicine, about what was going on, uh, about the sort of nuances of caregiving and treatment protocols and things like that. And sort of the state of, you know, maternity, uh, healthcare in this country. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> but is, uh, a disaster, <laughs> it sure is. Yeah, it sure is. It was nice to be able to really sort of tease apart some of these bigger issues with them like as i'm sitting snuggling with my baby once i was you know finally able to hold him and
2: mm-hmm. and
3: things like that so it gives me a really big appreciation for like the nurses that you do find whether on labor and delivery or in the nicu whose communication styles are so- Clear and factual, mm-hmm. and compassionate at the same time. Like there's a way to present information and ex- explain what's happening to parents in really clear and yet really kind ways. And mm-hmm. that's a skill that really needs to be, taught, I think, <laughs> to all of these care providers and across, you know, across med- medical specialties. But again, I was fortunate that you know our nurses were just fantastic, and the docs that we were dealing with too were um, were really incredible and really great at sort of breaking things down to sort of understand, like, what is going on with my baby? How did we get here? What's the path forward? Mm -hmm. Um, I learned not to ask the question, when are we going home? Or, you know, when will he be released? I think that was a really hard realization, too, as a NICU parent, to know that, like, you can't always predict what's going to happen one day to the next, like you'll, it's, it's kind of two steps forward, one step back with a lot of these babies and having the NICU social worker available. And there was also a family like case manager who was a NICU parent herself, whose child was, you know, I think he was like nine or 10 years old at this point, but, um, having people there who have been through the experience and who are there like to support the emotional side of it for parents was also really helpful. Um, and I didn't even realize how much I needed that. (laughs)
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Until it was offered to me. They would just kind of swing by and check in and see how Noah was doing and see how I was doing and see if there was anything that I needed. You know, getting him like, you know, I was recovering from surgery. He was in the NICU, pretty stable. Um, and then at about 20 hours of life, his lungs just kind of clamped down. And he was on an oscillator vent. He was uh, they they started nitric oxide, which is an inhaled gas that is, you know, helps their lungs sort of function again, hopefully um and i woke up to a NICU attending in my hospital room at two 30 in the morning telling me that you know if if what they were doing was not working they were maxed out on those settings and if, in the next 20 minutes they were going to need to make a determination as to whether he needed to go on ecmo which is a heart lung bypass machine and i had gone to bed 2 hours earlier and he had been like relatively stable so that's how quickly things can change yeah that's like a a dunk in hot and cold water like yeah yeah it's you know it, it's it was just a shock. And sort of in the midst of that recovering, you know, I was 24 hours post op myself, dealing with a super sick kid, like, oh, I have to set him up with health insurance. Oh, I have to figure out my, my paid leave paperwork that has to get sorted out, like all of these things that were on my plate, when I was also dealing with a really critically ill baby who, you know, needed me and yet also didn't need me, which was kind Mm -hmm. of a that was a hard part for me in those early days I would say in the NICU is that there was very little that I could do for him I couldn't come for him I couldn't um you know I could be there and I could sing to him and I could talk to him and I could read to him and I could touch him but he because he was on the oscillator vent they had to keep him really really heavily sedated so it was it was really hard to be there mm-hmm. and to see him like that and to know that like he was struggling, even though they were technically keeping him comfortable. He still had moments where he would, was clearly sort of agitated and uncomfortable, and couldn't just scoop him up and and snuggle with him. Mm-hmm. And so that was really hard. Um, yeah, and
0: as again, it goes against like your every instinct as a mom. It does. Yeah.
3: yeah. So it was eight long days on events. Uh, I was able to hold him his the day after he was born. So he was born in the evening. And then I was able to hold him the next day in the NICU before he was intubated. And then I couldn't hold him again for another like 12 days. Mm-hmm. And so that that piece was hard. And that's where I sort of, I think my mindset was focusing on the things that I could be doing, like the getting the health insurance. Like, you know, once I, once I could wrap my head around, okay, I'm going to get his health insurance set up. Okay. Um, I'm going to figure out. Pumping. Exactly. Yeah. I like threw myself into pumping. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, "This is something that I can do," um, and and that felt good because it felt like one thing that I could sort of control. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I think
0: what a lot of parents don't realize, like as from the lactation perspective, is when you start pumping, right? You don't really get too much; you get <laughs> drops, maybe, <laughs> yep, <laughs> or you know, enough to draw up in a little syringe. And most parents look at that and like, "This is useless." But they can use that to clean the baby's mouth, and they can, yeah. You know, there's so many uses for that, and it's 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 valuable. Your it's effort's so, are valuable, yeah.
3: It's so valuable, and I, you know, when I had those little syringes, and I'd have like you know 0. 0.5 mils of of colostrum that I could bring with me down to the NICU. I remember actually I remember the night the milk came in. I was obviously I was still in the hospital. And and so I had you could I had a, I have a picture actually that because I, I was so proud of it of you know the little droppers where it's like you know half a mil and then like the syringe that's like the three millimeter mili- sorry, the three milliliter um mm-hmm. syringe that was full, and then next to the five milliliter one that was full, and then like the little two ounce collection cups that were like mm-hmm. slowly like yeah. filling up, and you could see like the progression of <laughs> of milk coming. And that, mm. that felt so, you know, I just remember being so proud of it. I, I texted it to all, like all of my friends yeah. who, who are doulas and who, yeah, who yeah. And parents and understand like, look at this, this is what I'm doing. Um, mm. And that felt really wonderful. And also, you know, he was so sick, they weren't feeding him right away. And so he was on liquid nutrition So, but I knew that that milk was going to be ready for him when he was ready. And that felt really wonderful and important to me. Mm
1: -hmm.
3: Um, You know, he very quickly, once he did start eating, he very quickly surpassed what my supply would allow, which, you know, it was not wholly unexpected in my, for, you know, my, uh, some complications that I had, but um, it was still pretty cool that for at least the first couple of weeks of his life, he was a hundred percent on my breast milk. Mm -hmm. which was pretty neat. That's amazing. Yeah. And we did do. I know. I know. Um, I was going to say that one of our primary nurses, Krista, who was fantastic, like his second, maybe his like fourth or fifth day of life. Um, she sort of taught me how to do, she called it a a breast milk lollipop, Mm -hmm. um, which is dipping a Q-tip in, in my milk and, um, and just kind of rolling it around in his, in his mouth. And most of the time, again, he was so sedated that it, you know, he didn't really have any reflexes, which is kind of distressing to see as a parent, but, um, but as he would start coming out of sedation a little bit, he'd start mm. like, he'd start sucking on it. And it was very, very mm. sweet.
0: What did it feel like when you were able to hold him Hold him again?
3: Um, it was pretty incredible. I don't think it had really sunk in that he was nine and I got to keep him. And, you know, i had only held him once when he was a day old and feel, really feel like I didn't know him at all. And so having him sort of placed on my chest and just able to kind of sigh a big sigh of relief. Um, or Mm -hmm. let out a big sigh of relief, I guess, Mm -hmm. um, was, was pretty incredible. And, and, you know, I was really grateful too that, like, there, I could be at the NICU, any, like, I could be there 24-7 if I wanted Mm -hmm. to be, Um, I could be there as much as I wanted to be. Um, I could come and go as frequently as I wanted to. And so we spent a lot of time in the rocking chair in his room. And, uh, and it was pretty great. And then I would go and like, I would sit there for like eight hours a day and I would just snuggle with him. Um, and I would try to nurse him if he was was up for it and he was still getting feeds, you know, once he was out of the woods, from mm-hmm. a respiratory standpoint, we had a long road of sort of weaning off all of the sedation medications and him him sort of figuring out how to eat. So
2: mm-hmm.
3: um, that is why we ended up with like a 41 day day, but yeah, I mean, I got all of my snuggles in and I never wanted to leave the chair. And I think that was, that was also a hard thing. Like I had to remind myself to leave the room and go take care of myself. Like, no, I need to go out. I need to go and eat. I need to make sure that I'm hydrating. I need to go to the bathroom. I need to be able to take care of myself. Um, and because of COVID precautions could like, I couldn't have anything but water in, in his Nikki room. Mm-hmm. So it meant having to leave his bedside, which was really hard, but so important because um, mm-hmm. the days when I didn't, I wasn't good about that. I felt it. And I, you know, I was pumping. I like, I needed, <laughs> I needed my energy for so many reasons, but also mm-hmm. because I was trying to make as much milk for him as I could. Right. And so that I think was really hard. Um, and I had to be reminded a lot by by the nurses um uh, to go take a break like go take a few minutes go get a snack mm-hmm. go go have a meal we'll be here come back um yeah thing. Uh, and I hear all the
0: time when I worked in the NICU the nurses would be asking the parents like have you eaten today how, how, did you get any sleep last night and things like that because you're right, right. like it's the whole like you got to put the oxygen mask over your own face before you help someone put yeah. it over theirs so, yeah
3: Yeah. And it's funny because as a doula, those are questions that like as a postpartum doula, those are things that I ask. The first questions that I ask when I go into a family's home is like, you know, when was the last time you ate something? Did you get any sleep last night? You Mm. know, when was the last time you had a shower? And you know, what's your goal for the day? And it's so much harder to follow the advice. That you've been giving to countless other families when you're right. the one in the thick of it, like it's just just because I logically and rationally know all the things about taking care of a newborn, and you know, even knowing about taking care of preemies, and mm-hmm. you know, feeding babies and feeding parents, mm-hmm. uh, it doesn't necessarily translate to being able to do it for yourself. It's totally uh, different when it's your own baby. Yeah, it's totally different, and I think
0: that's with any. I mean, doulas aren't technically considered medical professionals, but you know you're in the field, you're in the medical environment. And right. I think just like nurses and doctors were, we're the worst patients, right? <laughs> yep.
3: I mean, the one silver lining that I keep coming back to, because you have to find the silver linings. I think that's mm-hmm. the other thing when you have a lengthy, and if you say is that you have to be able to find the silver linings, that by the time he came home with me, I was fully recovered from my C-section. So I, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a single mom by choice. And so Um, I wasn't coming home with a brand new newborn four days post-op myself and having to take care of a baby by my, a newborn by myself. And so, you know, by the time he came home with me physically, I was perfectly capable of all the things that I needed to be able to do to take care of myself, and to take care of him. And that, again, silver lining, like, Mm -hmm. would I wish that, like, would I wish a 41 day NICU stay on anybody? Absolutely not. But that was kind of nice that it felt like all I had to do when he got home was focus on him being home and enjoying that time and trying to find our rhythm Mm -hmm. and, um, and not having to worry about all of the things, the limitations that I had physically.
0: And Um, I think
3: it's great that you can
0: recognize the positives in that situation. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
3: I was going to say um, one of the other wonderful things about my NICU experience was that a former friend of mine from childhood camp, who I had not seen in 20 plus years, had her own baby in the NICU, um, in the same NICU at the Brigham at the same time um, as my son. And she, he was a 27 weeker. In fact, her second 27 weeker, she'd had two 27 weekers. And uh, so she was a very experienced and seasoned NICU mom. Her daughter had had a, you know a 140 something day NICU stay mm-hmm. um, and is doing great today. And, um, and her son was born two months before my son, um, though they were due about four days apart. And we reconnected um, after 20 plus years because we were both in the NICU at the same time with our babies and having her sort of guidance and perspective as a NICU parent who had been through the ringer with mm-hmm. two kids in the NICU. I remember we had lunch, maybe like the fourth or fifth day after I was home from the hospital myself and had left my baby behind. Um, And we were having lunch in the waiting room and she was like, let go of all expectations. Like he's going to be fine Mm -hmm. and he's going to, he's going to come home when he's ready. Right. Like, but you have to let go of those expectations. Like you can't say, oh, I hope he's home by this due date, my his due date, or I hope he's home by this time or whatnot. She's like, he's going to, he calls the shot and that's okay. Mm -hmm and she sort of reiterated the two steps forward one step back and just kind of taking advantage of the time that that you have all of the supports that the, that are available in the NICU mm-hmm. um, and she's like if there's a day that you you can't come like that's okay like you can call and check in anytime it's okay for you to take care of you mm-hmm. And again, rationally, you know that. And also, you have this baby who's in the hospital 247 and can't leave. So, hearing some, having somebody say that, I think is awesome. So, find a friend. Mm -hmm. If you find yourself in the NICU, find a friend, Mm -hmm. a fellow parent who's been there a little bit longer than you, um, who can kind of show you the ropes. Um, Yeah, I
0: think that's immensely helpful. And I know a lot of NICUs will have like parent support groups where you can. Is that something that the NICU you were in? For...
3: So I don't think they did while we were there. And I don't know if that was because of COVID um, mm-hmm. or whatnot. Um, they had like a parent CPR class and they had a couple of other things like that available. But I think that things were kind of limited just because of, of COVID. Mm-hmm. But I think it would have been really helpful. Um, but yeah. it's also hard because people are there to see their babies and they don't want to be pulled. Like you don't want to be pulled away from your baby's bedside. And, and that you're you're kind of always torn with that. hmm yeah. But, but, but the day my friend went home with her, with her little guy uh, was about a week and a half before we went home. And uh, she sent me a text the next morning and said, Oh my God, stay as long as you can. Uh, <laughs> cause, Cause they had had a night at home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and it, again, the humor, you have to find the humor mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> wherever you can.
0: What was it like going from Cause I know some families I've worked with have struggled with this too. You're going from an environment where there's machines that's giving you constant data about your baby's vitals and measurements and whatnot. And there's always, you know, someone is always around a nurse, a provider, and then you go home, you get used to that. Right. And then you go home by yourself and you're like, oh, where's the machine telling me yeah. that he's breathing. Okay. And that his heartbeat's okay. Yeah. What was that like
3: for you? There were definitely stressful moments. And this, again, I think is is where my experience with newborns was helpful in that a lot of the little things that first-time parents feel really anxious about when they're looking at their newborns or interacting with their newborns don't phase me because I've been around so many newborns. And it was still really hard. So by the time we left, like the last few weeks that we were in the NICU, he really didn't need to be hooked up to any of those leads. So he didn't really need the heart rate monitor. Uh, the oxygen saturation, like, we never really had huge issues once he was done with respiratory therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would kind of watch it like a hawk when I was feeding him because that those were the times where he was really disorganized. And like, I'd be sort of cued into what is he doing? What, you know, is he forgetting to breathe? Um, is he, does he have that uh, suck, swallow, breathe pattern? Is he mm-hmm. is he in a rhythm or is he, you know, forgetting to, to take a step? Mm-hmm. And so coming home with a, I think I was most nervous about the feeds for the first few days, and also because I was so exhausted. Right, I was Mm -hmm. the only parent, and I was on twenty four seven, and so those like middle of the night feeds were like I, I really needed to be really vigilant about offering him like pacing strategies and feeding him in certain positions to make sure that like he was being safe while he was eating. But doing that at three a.m. when I also did it at you know. 10 p.m. and midnight, and, mm-hmm. you know, would be continuing to do it and not having the feedback from from the monitors to say he is being safe right now as he's eating. That definitely mm-hmm. led to some stressful moments. I think it prompted me to, like, pull my, like, deep breaths. Like, a lot of the strategies for coping that mm-hmm. I, you know, walk mm-hmm. families through with labor mm-hmm. um, were, were pretty helpful. Like, take a step back, take a deep breath, um, mm-hmm. pause, things like that were definitely were definitely helpful, but it's an adjustment. And I I can imagine he's not a baby who had, you know, spells where he would really stop breathing, um, or, or anything like that, that kept us there. Um, but I can imagine for families who, for, for whom their babies did that or when families have the, if families had a baby that, you know, experienced those kinds of spells, like I can imagine that that would be a lot more terrifying Mm -hmm. to come home without the machines.
0: Do you think the NICU did a good job of like teaching you what to look for and signs that things are going well and that the, you know, if your baby's doing this, this isn't really anything to worry about?
3: Yes. And also I think that, yes. Okay. So yes, I think I did a great job. It's sort of with the parent education, making sure that like I felt fully comfortable confident and comfortable taking him home feeling like okay we got this I know what to do I know what should sound an alarm and what shouldn't sound an alarm mm-hmm. when I'm home with him but I also think we didn't have quite as many of those conversations because of my background because they knew that I was a doula and they knew that I had you know years and years of experience taking care of newborns and so obviously it's different when it's your own newborn mm-hmm. but I I definitely know that like some of the conversations that we were having were sort of higher level than they might be giving out to the the average parent or, um, you know, and not all of those teachable moments like this is how you swallow a baby. And, you know, mm. do you know, like, do you know about safe sleep? Like I, mm. they certainly asked that, but then there wasn't like the lengthy lessons that I, I I think they really do give to families. Like they really do try to send you home with as many tools as you're going to need yeah. to feel comfortable and make sure that you're feeling safe uh, and yeah you know, you're being safe with baby. Like put your baby, if if your baby is screaming and you are losing your mind, put the baby down and walk away. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, don't shake your baby. Like, yeah.
0: Yeah. Sometimes being viewed as someone who has a lot of knowledge can be a disadvantage in that way where people assume that, you know, things like, I know that when nurses are admitted to the hospital for whatever reason, they'll often not tell their care team that they're a nurse. Um, I remember doing that when I was admitted for emergency gallbladder surgery. And I didn't say anything um until the, the surgeon came in and was t- and he actually drew like a stick figure to show me where my gallbladder it was like nice. it was, he was like the best surgeon ever. He was so adorable. I guess that's not the right word, but you know what I mean. And he drew the stick figure and he's he here, your gallbladder, here's I'm gonna take it out. And then after he's like, Well, what do you do? And I explain, What do you do? And he's like, Oh, and he's looking at his stick figure, and I'm like, Listen, I work with babies. I can't tell you where my gallbladder is. Like, I don't, yeah. you lose, if you don't use the knowledge, you lose you it. You lose it.
3: Right. Yep.
0: 100%. And then when they were prepping me for my surgery, they're like, so we hear you're a nurse. I'm like, please, I'm not that kind of nurse. Like,
3: <laughs> I don't.
0: <laughs> and they were like, we get it. We get it. This isn't like your area of expertise. So,
3: Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I do think that, you know, the conversations that I had with, with the staff and the nurses, like they were really good about saying like, you probably know this, but like, you're also a parent and like mm-hmm. understanding the distinction between having this knowledge base and, you know, doing something professionally and living it as a,
0: right.
3: as a parent, which are, are two really, really different things. I mean, right. it's funny because after we were home from the NICU, like, I, I mean, I felt like I was underwater for, for weeks, like trying to settle into a rhythm. And I'm like, oh, the days, like days just go by. Like, how is it like 9 PM already? And like, I've done nothing. I haven't brushed my teeth. Like, I don't understand. I got out of the house one day. <laughs> Maybe we'd been home for two weeks and I, we got out for a walk and I had a stroller and I w- had a cup of coffee in the little stroller, like cup holder. And I took a picture and I sent it to a friend. I was like, check us out. We got out the (laughs) door. I was like, who knew it was so hard to get out the door with a newborn? When is your own newborn. (laughs) But like, I've been getting newborns out the door for like 20 plus years. Like it's not, it's it's not hard when it's somebody it's yeah. It's not hard when it's somebody else's newborn. Yeah you're just throwing so them running. in the car like whatever <laughs> like, let's go like you don't have to think about wait did I when was the last time I pumped like mm-hmm. how has he been fed when does he need to you know when does he need to sleep is he going to scream this whole time like mm-hmm. did I put a shirt on like or am I walking out with my boobs like are my boobs out like I don't even know like howdy neighbors <laughs> like, <laughs> it's so much yeah. harder when it is your own baby yeah. um so much more wonderful, too. I mean, okay. the, you know, I think the oh, my most favorite thing was the, the day we discharged from the hospital and I got him home and we were sitting in the rocking chair and I was just, like, sniffing his head and, like, kissing his cheeks for probably, like, 10 minutes straight, like, mm-hmm. just breathing in his scent yeah. and realized that, like, that was really the first time because right now in the NICU, you know, everybody's wearing masks all the time, which is yeah. important um, but it meant that I was wearing a mask with my own baby you know
2: mm-hmm.
3: I would take it down occasionally to take a quick picture but like or to take a sip of water or something like that but for the most part like I didn't really get those like that's a the whole level of feedback that you get you know or mm-hmm. a level of interaction that you get with your baby when they're home with you that you know being in the NICU during a pandemic you don't get and that was hard um, yeah. and I think the, the other hard thing for me was was not being able to share him with anybody. That that felt really really hard, you know. In the beginning, you know, I was there by my, I was in the hospital by myself. I did have, you know, I had somebody stay with me the first night that I was in the hospital after he was born. The second night, which was the really scary night when um, when he got really really sick, I was alone in my hospital room. But thankfully, had a friend who was on call in the hospital, um, and so she was able to come down and and sit with me and be with me as we sort of figured out what was unfolding and how, how that was going to play out. Mm-hmm. Um, but then when I was discharged, like I got a baby band on my wrist. Um, and, and most, you know, a lot of families have two parents and both parents get a baby band and, and they can at least share that baby together with each other. I think being a single parent was really hard because I was there by myself. Like I couldn't really share him with anybody. hmm It felt sad. There was definitely like a grieving process for that. Like I, you Mm -hmm. know, yeah, we can FaceTime with people, but like I can't nobody I couldn't have anybody from the outside come in and visit him. Yeah. Um
0: no one else knew what he smelled like. Right. Well, I mean, I didn't
3: really know what he smelled like until he got home, but because of the mask. mask, Yeah. uh, yeah, But um, but yeah, you know, that that did really feel hard. And actually it was the NICU social worker, um, and the family family guide. I can't remember what her. Her official title was but um they sat me down and they were like well you know maybe you don't have somebody who's going to come in with you every day but is there somebody that like maybe could come in like once a week and and be here with you with him mm-hmm. that you might want to give the baby band to like you don't you know yeah obviously there's not another parent in the picture to to ha- to share the band with but is there somebody that you would want to give that band to that may like even if they just come every now and then that mm-hmm. that, that might feel nice um, and that it hadn't even occurred to me, um, to do that. And so I ended up sharing it with my friend who's an OB in the, ho- in the, in the same hospital. And so oh, she, nice. she was able to cut and then, you know, it was actually really helpful because it meant that she was able to get information about him and she was part of like the team meetings and getting information from the medical team, helping me dissect that, mm-hmm. um, was really helpful. And, you know, anytime she was on call in the hospital, she would, she could pop in, and so ultimately I was able to ha- share him with somebody and that felt really great. It wasn't every time. It certainly wasn't, you know, more than a couple mm-hmm. times a week, but it was enough that, um, that I felt less alone yeah. as time went on there. So that, and that, that I was think really that speaks important.
0: like volumes to her too, or mm-hmm. you, because you chose her and that's a very special role.
3: Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah I oh, think she's they- really on it.
0: Did they include you in rounds? They did. Yeah. Okay. They
3: so the first few days when I was still inpatient myself, I I was down there for rounds every day, and then after that, I ended up not being there most of the time for rounds, just because it ended up being early enough in the morning that um, that I was still sleeping um, mm-hmm. at home. Um, but I would always check in with one of the doctors. Um, the residents would usually check in with me, sort of when I arrived, or and give mm-hmm. me kind of the the overview of like what they talked about in rounds. And if it was a an important rounding day, like there were definitely a couple of times where I had them call me, like they called me in, um, and I was on the phone while they were doing rounds. If we were sort of presenting some change of course that uh, that felt important for me to be having a conversation with the whole team.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: But it, you you know they certainly encouraged and allowed parents to be there every day to be a part of that conversation. And that was really, I really appreciated that
2: Mm
3: -hmm. Um, in general, just the communication too. like the attendings always checked in, like whenever, whenever I was there, even if it wasn't during rounding time, like they'd be walking down the hallway and they'd, they'd pop in and and either comment on, on something amazing that he'd done or some progress that he'd made or sort of, you know, give me a little bit of, you know, comfort or reassurance um, Mm -hmm. that we were, moving forward the way we should be moving forward that felt important
0: did they invite you to call them if, if you had any questions after discharge
3: um for after discharge i i don't i actually don't know how i would have, No, no. Okay. <laughs> i don't think they did um, <laughs> I, yeah I, some,
0: some of the nurses i hear them like take calls from parents after the parents oh. go home Um, if they have like a question, they would call and, you know, most of the time the nurse would be like, well, you know, this is a good question for the pediatrician, but I think it just was helpful for them to know that they could call and talk to someone that they trust that had been at their baby's bedside for so long. That's awesome. I mean,
3: I, we, I definitely, I'm still in contact with all of his his primary nurses. So Mm -hmm. if I had questions, I could have easily connected with them or reached Mm -hmm. out I'm saying I'm I'm lucky to have you know a friend who's a pediatric ER doc and (laughs) all the friends (laughs) in high places (laughs) I went to college with the the NP at our his pediatrician's office so I have you know how to hook yourself up (laughs) with it's it's really I highly recommend having friends (laughs) in Knowledgeable places when you yes. ask everyone
0: should have a friend that's an auto mechanic, a doctor. Right.
3: <laughs> right. know, there's just like a
0: list that you need to make. Like I See, need you, friends and these
3: real. Yeah, you need an IBCLC on speed dial, which <laughs> yes. I, I have. Rachel is yes. fantastic. And <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I send cute baby pic, I'll I'll trade information for cute baby pictures. There's yes. like an agreement yes. there. Yeah.
0: <laughs> now the social worker you mentioned, she was assigned to you automatically.
3: Um, it was a he actually, yeah, yeah sorry. So yep. Yeah, no, no problem. Um, yeah. So he was assigned to me automatically, uh, as was the family. Mm-hmm. I'm going to find out what her, what her title is and uh-huh. tell you, but I, I think she was like a family manager or family case manager. Family
0: coordinator. They call it yes. sometimes. Yeah. Yes, I think it was a yeah. family
3: coordinator. I think that's um, pretty
0: standard in most hospitals too. If you're babies in the NICU, you're automatically assigned as a social yeah. worker. Um,
3: yeah. Like they, they came to see me, I think the second day that we were in the NICU, they came in and they, you know, introduced themselves to me. They like looked over, they met, like they met Noah, they, Mm -hmm. and then they arranged to have like a conference room available for us to just kind of sit down. And they got sort of the lowdown on like, who am I? Who's, who's in my family? Who's important? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, how was the pregnancy? How was the birth? You know, what Mm -hmm. are we facing and, and what kinds of services do they have available? And how could they, how could they support me?
0: Mm-hmm. um
3: and and they did like things that I didn't even realize that I needed like the figuring out of getting him you know getting him on health insurance um they were able to connect me with the person like in the mm-hmm. hospital who could do that for me like they were able to take some things off my plate that I wouldn't even have known to ask for or that I could have had help with and so yeah. that that was really nice such a valuable resource it is it is did
0: you hire are you a postpartum doula yourself I did. That's fantastic.
1: Yes. <laughs> the challenge of,
3: you know, the challenge of being um, in the NICU for six weeks is that the, our timeline was really thrown off. So he came, he was four weeks early. He was a week and a half earlier than we expected him to be there. And then he ended up staying in the hospital for for longer. So by the time we got out of the NICU, the timeline for how much help she had available Um mm-hmm before she had other families lined up that she needed to help was uh, was a little limited but um, but I was glad to take her for whatever (laughs) whatever she could Mm
2: -hmm. she could
3: provide and and you know she came I think she came two nights a week for the first couple of weeks that I was home and then came came one night the week after that and um, just knowing that there was like gonna be a a light at the end of the tunnel that there was going to be one night where I could sort of catch up a little bit and have somebody to, to chat with in the middle, you know, during pumping sessions and things like mm-hmm. that in the middle of the night was really, really invaluable. Sure. Yeah. Um, Cause you know about the sleep deprivation, but it, everybody always says this, like you don't really know about it until yeah. you experience it. Like you can't possibly know. It's so cliche, but it's so true. So true. Cliche- yeah. Cliches are cliched for a reason, right? Yeah. <laughs>
0: Do you yeah. think as a doula, your experience in the NICU has changed in any way the support that you would give any future families that you serve whose babies are in the NICU? Like, are there things that you would do differently to support them?
3: Yeah, I think that the, I think that the families that I've had who have had NICU experience, I, again, I, I've been really lucky in six years of, of birth work that I have not had anyone have really longer than like a, a week long stay in the NICU until me, but I think that even a short, like, the, the sort of making it clear to families that you're available and that you're thinking of them and that if there's anything that you need, I think being proactive too about, you know, offering rides, like the, it was hugely helpful to me when I got home. I had friends, um, some of whom were doulos and some of whom were not were like do you need a ride back to the hospital so you can go visit your baby um mm. they you know or if it was a friend from afar and they couldn't be here in person like do you need a, a gift certificate for an uber home or a lyft mm. home um things like that that i wouldn't have thought of Takeout, like grubhub or like doordash gift certificates mm. things like that like just really practical things like how are you being fed how are you getting to and from the hospital do you need help with those things like Proactively offering specific things, I think, is something that I will do for any families who have NICU experience going forward. Like, mm-hmm. I am going to drop off food for you. It will be in a cooler. You don't have to be home. You don't have to do anything, don't but I'm going to gonna make the sure door. you have it to- right. You don't have to <laughs> answer the door. Um, but the people who showed up really showed up um, and had no expectations about like needing me to be anything for them or needing to be on or needing to interact with them. And I think that, that felt Mm
0: -hmm.
3: really helpful. Um, So I would want to make sure that any families that I work with would have that experience as well.
0: Yeah. I think that's so important too, because it's often overlooked. And I think some people tend to wait like, oh, when the baby comes home is when that family is really going to need help. So I'll wait,
3: not realizing
0: that they need help and support all along.
3: Yeah. Yeah having a baby in the NICU is a full-time job. And I think, you know, I was fortunate in that I was able to be fully present in the NICU and like, it was my job during that time to go back and forth to the NICU every single day um, and be there as long as I, you know, wanted to or could um, and then come home and take care of myself. But um, not everybody has that luxury. Sometimes parents have to go back to work when their kids are still in the NICU. And I can't even fathom, what that would feel like and how it would feel to have to juggle that. Mm-hmm. Um, or they can't get a ride. Right. Or, and it, or they have yeah. other kids at home where it's hard to leave. Right. Because you to watch those kids, you know. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, again, your kids are in phenomenal hands when they're in the NICU. And that's for me at least that was really reassuring.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
3: I also knew that I could call anytime, day or night yeah. to check in with whoever the nurse was who was who was, uh, there with him. Um, and I could get an update and see how his day was going or see how his night was going if I wasn't there, but it's all encompassing. Like there was nothing else. I went to the NICU. I stayed, I snuggled with my baby and pumped there for, you know, eight to 10 hours a day. I went home, ate something and like went to sleep and got up to overnight to pump and, and did it all again every single day for 41. Yeah. For yeah. four, for 41 days. <laughs> um, okay. And, and that it was felt hard. weird
0: when he was home to be like, "Oh, I don't have to." Yeah, we're not going to go get in the car and drive to right. the NICU. Like you're right. here. Like, right. Yeah,
3: we're just here. We can snuggle all day long. Yeah, um, in front of the TV. All <laughs> know, oh my gosh. Yeah, and he was still very much a newborn when he came home. And that, I, like, I was grateful for that because I was a little bit worried. I was like, "Well, he's six weeks old. Like, that's like the first six weeks are the hardest and the best part, mm-hmm. right?" But like, I mean, it was still he was still very much a newborn when yeah. he came home and I still got to soak that in mm-hmm. and I'm but still glad that he's smiling and giggling and starting to you know explore the world the in new ways now yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh my
0: goodness what is one thing like what would be your top tip for parents who are facing a NICU day? um that is a great question you already gave a lot of tips but I, I know, know but
3: the top tip
0: or even just something that you'd want them to know, you know,
3: that you will get through it. And I think that that is true. Like, you know, whether it's a good outcome or not a good outcome, I think that in the moment, just do what you need to do to take care of yourself so that you can be present for your baby. Um, Mm -hmm. And that looks different for every family. I think like what being present while they're in the NICU looks like. Mm -hmm. Um, And that reminder that like, Someday you're going to look back on this and it's going to feel so far in the distance. Mm -hmm. I'm not there yet. Right. Like, I mean, it does feel like it was distant, you know, where um, Mm -hmm. we've been home for, I can't even do math. We've been home for two and a half months Mm -hmm. and it feels like a long time ago. And I feel like most of the time I'm fine and not feeling emotional about our journey. Cause I knew and I trusted that we were in the right place and he was getting the care he needed. And, you know, but every now and then, you have to let yourself have all the feels too. <laughs> um, right. I think that for me, like I really held it together
2: mm-hmm.
3: when he was there, and and that's important. But you also have to make space for feeling whatever trauma you have. And I, my pediatrician actually gave me some really good advice once we once we got home, and you know, we he was just a normal baby uh, when we got home, because I worried a lot about like how can he not be traumatized by this experience? Like, I know they kept him comfortable. He was sedated, but like he, my son in particular, you know, he was basically paralyzed, like medically paralyzed um, on purpose so that the vent could do its work. Um, And yes, they kept him sedated so that he was comfortable. But like on some level, his body must have had some awareness of, of that. Like he was very, um, he had a really hard time sort of regulating and like transitions were really really tough for him like diaper changes were the worst for a very very long time he was just you know very um quick to get upset and hard to console and and would be rigid a lot of the times and some of that's preemie stuff that like just was immaturity that like he needed to sort of grow out of but I remember being really worried about that like how like on some level he must like his body must hold that trauma, right? There's a fabulous book called The Body Keeps the Score
0: about how the body holds trauma. And
3: like, Mm. you know, who knows what these babies are thinking? Like, you know, do I think it's going to impact him long-term for his life? No, but I found myself questioning that a lot. And the pediatrician was like, you know, he's not trauma. His brain is so plastic. And, you know, Mm. he's, these babies are so resilient. She's like, your trauma, however, like the, the trauma that NICU parents have it's something like, right? but you, yeah. You and you have don't PTSD from the trauma. Yep. From the and PTSD. you're, she's like, and you do have to work through it. And you also have to like figure out how to separate your trauma from like projecting your trauma on him, which is something as doulas, we talk a lot about too. Mm-hmm. Anytime we're, you know, at a birth, that's really tough or um, really complicated. um, Or we see things happening in the delivery room that make us uncomfortable. Like we have, we might have trauma coming out, but if the birthing person, like it's not if the birthing person feels good about that, it's not our job to project our own right. trauma on right. that, you know, make mm-hmm. assumptions. And so the same is kind of true of how now I, you know, how I now have to be aware of like my own feelings about his time in the NICU mm-hmm. um, as he grows up because, because um, I don't think it's going to, he's not going to remember it um, mm-hmm. and it's not going to impact him the way it's going to impact me. He's not going to carry it in the same way. Right. Um, so I think that was, Helpful advice
0: that my patients. Yeah, I love that. Reason. Yeah, yeah. I I want to thank you for sharing your story with us. I really appreciate sure. it. Where can families? I know you're not working right now, I assume. But yeah, not at the moment. Can, but not at the <laughs> moment. But where can families like connect with you and find out more about you?
3: Yeah, absolutely. So um, my dual practice is Baby Bean Maternity Consulting. Uh, the website is babybeanboston.com can find me on there. Um, I am not taking birth clients or postpartum clients at the moment um, but I have a feeling I'm never gonna leave birth work completely so um, so people can reach out to me um, through my website for sure. I'm um, terrible at responding to inquiries at the moment um, because I have a four month old but You're just a little busy. <laughs> just a little bit busy but I, I hope to be back up and running uh, <laughs> soon. I'm
0: not really. I'm not, I'm not
3: very good about social media, so uh, that's
0: probably uh, smart. Yeah. To be honest, <laughs> yeah. Uh, more things on your plate. Not business, yeah, <laughs> yeah.
3: So, uh, so yeah, I would say my website. If people want to learn more about me, um, they can go to my website. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. You're so welcome, it was so nice to chat with you. And I hope you get some sleep tonight. <laughs> we're we're now up to like a solid at least a six hour stretch of sleep every Ooh. night. And Sometimes sometimes <laughs> sometimes close to seven hours and 45 minutes of sleep. So I think way. I know, right? <laughs> I say that. Yeah, we're now entering like what could be the four month sleep regression too. So we'll be fine. It'll be what it'll be. Well, good luck with that. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you for joining us this week on the Baby Pro Podcast.
0: Make sure to visit our website, ShellyTaftIBCLC.com, where you can check out more options for support through Pregnancy and Beyond, including the Baby Pro Group, our parenting community. You can also follow us on social media at IBCLC on Instagram. If you love the show, please leave us a rating or review on iTunes to help our episodes reach more parents like you. Thanks for listening.